We're into double digits now. Episode 10 of Cloudy with a Chance of Racing coming to you now. Braxton along with Jake and Dylan tonight. Steve is off uh, for the evening. We'll look forward to getting back with him next uh, next Monday night. The guys, a uh, big weekend of racing, a triple header at Martinsville, one of our, I think, collective favorite racetracks on the NASCAR circuit. Uh, what do we think about the, uh, the action we saw at the paperclip on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Hey, guys. Yeah, I, I thought that the Xfinity and, and trucks were pretty decent races. And unfortunately, I thought, you know, the cup race just didn't really bring it for me. And it's disappointing because, like you just said there, Braxton, I think Martinsville is a place that everyone – everyone enjoys it seems like everyone like really really wants a good show there but it's just something um in in the cup series uh i should say that just there, there's just been a lack of racing uh of quality racing in my opinion but of course i think yesterday sunday's race was better than last spring so it was a step forward but it wasn't by much yeah, I uh, the only race I really got to watch the entirety of was the Cup race, but it was disappointing, which is sad. Again, we kind of talked about this earlier in some previous episodes, how it feels like the next gen cars that's so good for intermediate tracks, and really the the super speedway package is good as well. It's the it's the short tracks that it's been struggling with as a whole, and I think that proved itself once again. Yesterday, again, I remember us talking about after the Phoenix race, like, yeah, Phoenix hasn't produced good races in the past. The, the real telling sign and what this new short track package is is when we go to Martinsville. And, well, I think that that did not, um, did not impress a lot of people. I think there's a lot of frustration. Is it the horsepower? You know, what exactly is it? Um, you know, I think it's, as we've talked about in the past, too, the wider tire, but then also you know shifting i don't think that that's end up um they got to do something there with the gear ratio or something which they didn't really end up doing with this change so um uh, hopefully there is some change because it seems like fans are frustrated and drivers alike yeah i mean we can jump right into the weekend uh we'll start with the truck race on friday night that uh was delayed due to rain and lightning in uh, the southwestern virginia area they ended up getting the race started on wet tires, first time wet tires ever used on an oval at a NASCAR National Series event, and I thought they worked out really good. Uh, it, they did their job; like there wasn't uh, a ton of you know excess spray. The track was mostly dry when they went to green with the wet tires, uh, but it was still a bit damp uh, while they used them. Uh, but they were able to race; they were able to make passes. You saw. Uh, comers and goers with that uh, I think the only knock that I have on the wet weather tires is somebody mentioned I can't remember who I wish I could, I could remember off the top of my head but somebody mentioned that the uh, the wet weather tires the way that they are you can't build any stagger into them which is uh, for if you're not familiar to listening uh, what stagger is basically they'll run um the left side tires with much lower air pressure than the right sides or the right sides with a ton more air pressure. It's imagine you take like a, a drinking glass that's got a taper to it, lay it on its side and roll it. It's going to roll in a circle. Uh, and so that stagger, when you have the, the bigger tires on the right side, smaller tires on the left side, 
whether you accomplish that with truly different tire sizes or air pressure, uh, allows you to roll around the corner uh, a bit better. And it's a standard thing that's been done on oval tracks for ever since they've been running oval tracks, pretty much. You can see it in a great detail on a lot of uh, uh, dirt midgets and dirt sprint cars. Uh, but somebody mentioned that you can't run stagger nearly as much with the rain tires as you can with the slicks. So we saw several trucks falling back uh, due to being super tight, which which is a, what you have when you don't have enough stagger in your car. Uh, so, uh, but but I think for that drawback, you give it the positive of there was a ton of wear, there was a ton of tire fall off, there was a ton of marbles being generated off of those those wet weather tires, and it's like well, it's clear it's clear that Goodyear knows how to make a tire that's soft and wears. Why can't we apply that to some other series that need it? Hint, hint. So true. I mean, that, that was a storyline coming out of Sunday was part of it was the tire fall off and and we'll get to that. I thought, you know, and we, we heard uh, some NASCAR veterans that weren't in necessarily even in, you know, the truck series race that night saying, man, this is working out really well. Uh, and I think some fans had had to remember necessarily. I know there was some frustration, you know, with with the rain and why can't we get out there if we have these tires? But there, there's a difference between you know rain tires and then they had these wet weather tires. As it was explained, um, as you know, if the track is is damp and you can get out there, you know, um, a little bit earlier than you would if you had to wait to completely dry the track. That's what, you know, these tires are for. I, it, it seemed like the truck series race was pretty entertaining when, when it was a green flag, I, I have, um, some numbers, 63 caution laps mean, and with the red flag and in, in the rain shortened race, there's more, a couple more caution laps and there were green flag laps in the race, but overall, uh, Corey Heim with the win, um, I will say a lot of those caution laps, I feel like were uh, were not really like for cautions or extended cleanups. Mm-hmm. There was, I think that was they might have, I think they they might have run they like dropped the green and caution together early on when they had the rain tires like right at the start of the actual race, and they ran like maybe ten caution laps or something like that before they actually like turned them loose. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be totally wrong, now, but yeah, I feel like and, I remember that. So yeah. that that contributes, I think, a little bit to that caution lap count. Yeah. Oh, and, and the laps do like you do tick off there, as we know, with how short it is. But um, overall, I, I the race was pretty entertaining, and I, um, as far as you know, the tires go, I hope we can uh, continue some of that momentum that in the other series. Yeah, I will say, you know, Kyle Busch's comments that. I believe it was front stretch. Uh, I think that's who was able to snag that interview posted on Twitter there with Kyle Busch after the race, talking about how, you know, he, how much he enjoyed racing on those tires, um, kind of that they should use them more. And they should, I mean, Ross Chastain had s- similar comments about how, you know, it should be at a different race, I think with Ross, but about how racing in, they should be racing in light rain, not just damp with these, with these new tires. So uh, um, I'm glad we got to see the debut. It was short lived, but yeah, of the, 
of the short track with the wet conditions. So I think that made the truck series just interesting in itself. I think that was a good time to test it. It was with the trucks for sure. Yeah, I thought the uh, uh, it, was, it was a solid win by Corey Heim there. Uh, he outran Kyle Busch, uh, which is always an accomplishment in the in the trucks. And I can't really blame NASCAR for not uh, trying to run the wets again later on in the race once it started raining again. Uh, for one, at, you know it it takes you know some of the the seriousness and kind of throws. Uh, you know, the drivers for a loop and the teams for a loop. And so when you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, especially those, those trucks that struggled, like Zane Smith struggled on the, on the wets, his truck was just super tight. So it seemed uh, like, you know, nobody knew it was how those were going to race either. So it seemed like it would be kind of unfair to some trucks to throw the wets back on there um, without, you know, you know, in, in the middle of this race, in the middle of the first race, you know, give them, you know, now they have this data. Maybe you can go back and do it, and the teams know how to adjust for that later on. Um, but there wasn't like a an organizational test where every team got a chance to run the wets to know how they were going to react and such. So I think it was a fair call to not run them in the uh, later on in the race. But also, I think somebody mentioned that the teams got there, uh, like the garage opened for the trucks at 10 a.m. on Friday morning, so they had been there for like what, 13, 14 hours by the time the, uh, the, the race was called. And, and it, that considered too, like what time those guys had to wake up and everything like, you know, Martinsville is only a couple hours from Charlotte. So I'm sure that they didn't go to Martinsville the night before it probably drove up that morning. So, uh, it was going to be an extremely long day. I mean, I got to say I took a nap on Friday afternoon and was still struggling to keep my eyes open at, uh, <laughs> uh when the the rains came back you know in the, in the 120 lap range so uh i can't imagine what those crew members were were going through there uh but i thought it was an overall uh, successful experiment and uh hopefully we can see it more i think the next opportunity we'll see it uh will be uh new hampshire and they go in june i believe should I have the schedule right here i can go look it up uh but yeah i think the next opportunity will be at uh at new hampshire uh whatever that might be uh, yep in july sorry mid-july uh is the next opportunity for that so uh, we'll see how that goes and uh worth giving congratulations to Corey heim for the win uh, like i mentioned earlier as well uh first win i believe for the newly branded tricon garage formerly david gilliland racing mm-hmm. tricon i believe got had uh, four top 10 finishes, uh, according to NASCAR.com. And another shout out when I'm looking through the, these results, um, William Swalich, the 16 year old making his truck series debut finishes in the top 10. He is, he is a young driver to keep an eye on. He has been running in a uh, super late models with, uh, Donnie Wilson racing. Uh, and, and essentially, uh, William Swalich is their like full-time driver. And then uh, Donnie Wilson prepares a second car for some of the big events that William Byron runs in. Uh, mm. So the two Williams there, and uh, I'd say Swalich has a good, uh, a good teammate to learn from there uh, on those events where they run together. Without a doubt. So uh, Saturday comes the uh, Xfinity race. And I thought it was a, Highly competitive race throughout. 
this is certainly one of those weekends, like most, but one of those weekends where we can, I think we can agree that the Xfinity race was the best race of the weekend. Uh, and a win for John Hunter Nemechek. A uh, big win for him. Uh, second time we've seen the uh, the mud flaps catch on fire in a burnout. Uh, Zane Smith did it at Coda a few weeks ago. And now uh, John Hunter Nemechek did it on Saturday night at uh, Martinsville. But once again, you, you have comers and goers in, in the Xfinity series. Uh, and it's, it's more of what everybody expects uh, a NASCAR race to be, I think. I, I agree. And, and I think um, we, we haven't said it as often this season, but we usually do say, you know, Xfinity just constantly and consistently, I should say, you know, puts on the show, even though, you know, John Hunter Nemechek led a ton of laps, but I still felt like... There was action throughout the field. It wasn't yeah. like it was him leading a ton of laps and nobody else doing anything else. Exactly, which is kind of what you saw on Sunday in some spots where it was just everyone was just stuck. But you know, and I think it's it's a really not that um, the Cup Series is this way too, but like just competitively uh, up top in the Xfinity Series, like it's going to be just a great a season. I feel like racing running for the championship um, it, it with, you know, you have in your, you saw a great finish there from Cole Custer, an old, old cup series driver, but you have, you have some veterans like you normally do. And then really guys who are really want to get to the cup and are knocking on that door. So it, it consistently brings a pretty good show. Yeah. And uh, I love when they, you know, brought the Xfinity back to racing at Martinsville. It was you know needed there where they, where they weren't racing. There was just the trucks. Um, I always thought that you know racing at Xfinity, especially in the spring, would would produce great racing. Um, I witnessed Josh Berry dominate there a couple of years ago when you know Josh Berry kind of splashed onto the scene. Um, I will say, John Nemechek kind of getting a little buzz around him with that. When I mean, I. That's the kind of thing I got from Twitter. You know, he looked really impressive in that race. It wasn't just he had a fast car, but he just he looked impressive. Uh, but it is funny the uh, that the video of him literally burning down the tires gets so many shares, and I feel like NASCAR hates that. <laughs> it's mainly the mud flat, their mud flat problem that that's causing his his car to catch on fire. <laughs> now, I thought it was burnout of the year, though, right? I mean, oh, I think for sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I, mean, I think the, you got to give true the edge. living up to the name burnout. <laughs> you got to give the edge to that over Zane Smith's, only because John Hunter's is a night and fire at night is is ten times more spectacular than fire at day, no matter what. Um, <laughs> Andy drove off when it was on fire, <laughs> right? He was so nonchalant about it when he got out too. Um, yeah, I thought it was it was impressive. It was great to see drivers being able to make a charge to the field. I thought Josh Berry made a great charge to the field after he had an issue with the valve stem coming out uh, of a tire and, and had to come back in, got saved by a caution to not go laps down in that whole issue. Um, but even so, like he was able to, to run back through the field and get up and compete for a top five. And that was a, a great result for him. The, uh, 
dash for cash continues. Uh, let's check and see. I know it'll be John Hunter Nemechek, uh, who won the race. Obviously, he won the $100,000. And then it was, uh, of course, Josh Berry will continue in the dash for cash. He had a fourth place finish. Sammy Smith and Cole Custer, the other two. Uh, so Nemechek, Sammy Smith, Cole Custer, Josh Berry are the four dash for cash eligible uh, drivers at Talladega going for the hundred grand. Um, I think that leads us into Sunday now. Um, first of all, going back a little bit to Saturday and qualifying, a somewhat shocking based on the pace they have shown throughout this year so far, but also not shocking given the driver and the success he's had there. Ryan Priest comes away with the pole for Sunday's cup race. A uh, uh, experienced guy. He's got experience there, I think, in three or four different vehicles now. Um, you know, the wheel and modified, the trucks, uh, Xfinity, and the Cup Series. So he knows his way around Martinsville for sure. And he's able to put down a fast lap to capture the pole on Sunday, or for Sunday. Uh, and then he was able to go on and lead the first stage wire to wire, uh, which is, uh, in one sense, a good showing for him. Uh, he, you know, as a team, he's not run up front very much. He could certainly benefit from the stage points and playoff point, but at the same time, uh, not a great look that there wasn't much of a challenge for him in the first stage. There wasn't, and it it really wasn't close, and it, it was became the theme of the day. It just seemed like um, I know Denny Hamlin on his podcast, which we all we listen to every week, said that you know if there pro- if there wasn't any caution or need to stop down pit road priest would have let all 400 laps on sunday and i i don't doubt him and um credit where credit is due for that for the team for qualifying well um and they they did dominate then you saw at the and this is where you know a pattern comes in where at the end of the stage he falls back from a penalty and then is just stuck and then you see some guys that he Priest was lapping, as far as you know, Ross Chastain, Joey Logano was in this situation, getting lapped, and then all of a sudden, based on strategy or you know pit stops, the order flips to where you know Chastain is now leading the race, and no one can pass him. Or you know, we saw that with Logano. There, there's just numerous instances in this race where you're like, wait a second, like. Uh, Truex is another example where he was struggling early and then some strategy calls, you know, gets him in, into the top 10, top five, and he ends up with a great finish. Um, but just cars uh, really, really being stuck. I think the only uh, green flag pass for the lead where, you know, uh, cars were on the same tire strategy was when Hamlin took over Briscoe. Um, but it just, I don't know, Sunday, it, I hate to say it, but it, it just came down to when, when a caution flag flew and a team's pit stop and that kind of won you the race in a way. I just don't understand how Goodyear had that tire there. Out of that. I mean, how is there no way or how, how could Joey Logano finish second after having a mid twenties, Car and it wasn't like 
you know, Priest, who had still had speed when he was in the back passing people. Logano was going to go a lap down every time we had a long green flag run. And then at the end, he gets, you know, finishes second. Uh, that was a frustrating thing about me to me. You know, it's hard to pass, but then you add in no tire wear. And it's just like, you can't have a Martinsville race where people are staying out on no tires and two tires and, and getting the finishes that they, they were able to have. You know, it was so close. I mean, it felt like when they would go on some of those runs, you'd get the guys, you know, lined up one, two, three, four, like a typical Martinsville. They just couldn't pass each other. Um, that that was the frustrating part. Um, I watched every second, though. You know, it's I was just hoping maybe, you know, the sun coming out would help things, blah, blah, blah. But just it just never came around. And it wasn't like it was a cold day. Temperatures were, you know, right around average for this time of the year. So They, they even said it was hotter than normal. I mean, Chase Elliott got out of the car and sat down next to his car. I think three or four other drivers went to the infield care center after the race. Um, you know, it, it was, it was, you know, warm. It definitely wasn't like last year where it was frigid cold. Uh, I think, you know, the passing was definitely lacking. Uh, but I do think there was some tire wear there. Were, you could see, you know, on some of the speed shots along the wall, you know, and they come off the corner, there was, there was where there was rubber being laid down on the, uh, the concrete. So the tires were wearing. I think the biggest issue, the, the two of them, is one, they're shifting, you know, in the middle of the corner. So you're not paying much of a penalty uh, if your car isn't handling well. You can just drop down and grab a gear and, and keep right on motoring. But also, the, even though the tires were wearing, the lap times weren't falling off. And I think that's a product of so much uh, aerodynamic grip being put into these cars. They're not being as reliant as, uh, on mechanical grip as what they have in the past. And so it doesn't matter really if your tires are, are, are wearing until they start showing cords and there's literally no rubber left. As long as you have a bunch of air pushing down on the car, you're going to have some level of grip, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're reliant on mechanical grip, once your tires start going away, uh, you're really going to feel it. I think that's a, a big thing there because – you know, every time you have uh, a race like that, you know, you, you go to Martinsville, uh, even like the super late models, the, they, the super late models don't race there. The late model stocks, the the big late model race that Josh Berry won, uh, I think like 2018, 2019, something like that. Uh, it, you have to conserve tires there because the late model stocks can spin their tires off of Martinsville and, and I, I don't know the cup drivers unless they're in like second or third gear. I don't know that it's possible to spin their tires. There's just no tire conservation required in Martinsville anymore. There's and no. That's, that's what made the old Martinsville races fun. Was that you yes. have guys that didn't know how to conserve their tires. Like Kyle Larson used to be at this track where he'd he'd go out and lay down some wicked fast laps early in a run and then completely fall off late in the run. Yeah, and there's that, certainly a strategy. That's to the that Martinsville too. I love. There's a strategy to that too. You could say I'm just going to run hard and and think I'm going to get a caution that's going to save me. Or I'm going to get such a huge lead that I can uh, I can come in for tires before everybody else and get back out there and make it up. And there's another school of thought that save my tires for the end. Uh, it, it may, that's a strategy that everybody's used to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that change is bad, but they've got to do something different here because there's no need to conserve tires anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's just, it's, it's dismal. And, and a lot of the drivers have talked about how, you know, 
if they would just make some changes to the engine package, namely adding horsepower and or raising the rev limiters to where they're not shifting, uh, that that would certainly help some as well. And and I I can't blame them much at all for that. Um, it seems like there is pushback from both NASCAR and the engine builders in that, which is uh, which is very unfortunate because I think the way the engine builders are talking it like specifically comments made by Jeff Andrews uh, from Hendrick Motorsports, who's now in a high up executive role, but he used to head up Hendrick's engine department. He said something to the effect of, yeah, it's going to be like a year or two to redesign parts uh, to handle that much horsepower, given the current rules where NASCAR mandates that in the first 34 races of the year, you have to use an engine that was you you have to use an engine twice basically uh in a race so um that basically right now they're making like 600 some horsepower and so the engines are built to handle two races at 600 horsepower and now there's concerns like okay uh and at a lower rpm limit i think they're not going above like 84 8500 something like that anymore uh and then you know so they're going to raise the rpm and horsepower they have to redesign the durability of several parts to be able to handle, you know, 9,000, 9,500 RPM at a thousand horsepower or 900 horsepower for two races. Uh, so I, I certainly understand that, but it's frustrating that they're saying that the lead time is going to be that long. What do you think the, the best first step in trying to fix this would be? Would it be the horsepower? Could it be the tires in, in, the shifting was mentioned a ton uh, in regards to Sunday. So, so there's you can just keep such a fast, you know, speed in, in the turns with the shifting. I mean, that, that's my understanding of it, right? I mean, that's the big thing. Well, that and and you can just drop a gear down uh, to where you're getting the the engine back in the power band uh, when you go into a lower gear because yeah. because the RPMs will fall down so low if you stay on that uh, the higher gear that you can that you're not really in the power band and it bogs but if you if you drop down a gear then you stay in the power band and you can just rock it off the corner isn't um, it wild you know when you're watching um thinking about like the tire aspect of this when you're watching and you, you just at some points i just said to myself yesterday and i have with some of this next gen is like when the teams are you know there's a caution and you know, who's going to pit, who might not, who will take two. It's like, if you take four, it's almost like, well, what are you doing? You're, you're going to lose all these spots. You know, you, some teams might as well just stay out. And, and we saw some of that work and, yeah. uh, or like a, the two tire stop, uh, which benefited race winner, Kyle Larson. It's like, you know, I'm thinking teams going down, getting four late. I'm thinking like, well, they're, they're going to be nowhere close to, you know, up front in, in a win at the end. And it, that's, it's just sad to think that way. But Yeah. Jake, you just asked me what, you, what, what the easiest or the quickest course of action is. And I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, because, all, because the way that they have, you know, all these, you know, spec parts now, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to make changes, I feel like. Uh, you know, if you're going to change the tire – like NASCAR or a Goodyear, I think the easiest would be for Goodyear to soften the tire compounds. That's probably the easiest thing to do. But another suggestion that people have made 
has been to have narrower tires because they did widen the tires with the start of the next gen. And they're saying, okay, there's too much contact patch. We need to narrow the tires. Uh, But the downfall to that is that then all the teams have to buy new wheels, uh, which are not cheap. And, and I don't think NASCAR has much interest at all in subsidizing new wheels uh, for a narrower tire. So that's a problem there. They could say, change the gear ratios or have some sort of like a lockout to where they can't use fifth gear in, um, you know, in Martinsville and stuff. So uh, the, the downfall to that though, is if you're saying, okay, they can't run in, I think they run in primarily fourth and third gear. So they're, they're fourth on the straightaways, third in the, in the corners. So if they lock out a gear to where you can't, you know, shift or whatever, there's all kinds of complications in that. But also there's ramifications with RPMs. Um, you know, they're going to be banging off the limiter, you know, at the end of the straightaway, which happens a lot of short tracks. But NASCAR really hasn't had anything like that in a long time, I feel like. Um, so there's implications with that. Similar with the higher horsepower that there's engine implications. Um, there's just, it's, it's a domino effect, right? Uh, and I, 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 unfortunately, there's just not an easy button and it's really, really frustrating. I did see a suggestion. Um, so Bob Pockers had tweeted uh, some quotes from Jeff Andrews uh, a little bit ago, or I guess earlier today, about uh, basically that if they're going to make changes to the horsepower, RPM limits, and the, and the, and the race car engines now, uh, that the different pieces need to be uh, need to be ordered like an decision would need to be made now in order to have parts and pieces for next year. Uh, Kevin Harvick, just in about an hour before we were recording this podcast, tweeted, 1,000 horsepower spec, order it. And it makes me wonder, and this is going to be a poll question on our Twitter at Claudia Racing Pod here in just a little while after this gets posted. Uh, the question is, would you support a high horsepower engine in the NASCAR Cup Series if it was made by a single source supplier such as Ilmore, who currently makes all of the Truck Series engines? So on one hand, you get your high horsepower that everybody is wanting, but it comes at the cost of it's at a common engine supplier. It's not, there's no more, you know, Ra- uh, um, Roush Yates engines. There's no more HMS engines. There's no more RCR, et cetera. It's just all Ilmore, for example. I don't know if it will be Ilmore or not, but they already have a relationship with NASCAR. What do you guys think? Would you, would you take I, the horsepower if it meant, means taking away some of that brand identity? I think if it meant, you know, better racing and, and, I, I would I guess I would take it in I, it's just I would I would trust the drivers like on this like you know if when Kevin Harvick comes out and tweets something like that and if if that if that was you know the way to go with thousand horsepower and the drivers agree I mean who's you know who's to tell them that they don't think that they would improve the racing. And this is where we discussed last week. There's just lack of communication. It seems like, and it's been that way between you know, NASCAR and listening to the drivers themselves, especially in the teams in, in the teams. Yes. In, in it, comes, the, it comes across a bit like NASCAR is like, we're going to do what we want to do. 
take it or leave it. And there, no team or driver is going to leave it really because there's so much money involved. Yeah. And, and some of these drivers are also, you know, owners and they're, they're, they're becoming a lot more, you know, they voicing their opinions and it, it, something needs to be fixed. So if, if that was the solution, I'm, I think I'm before it because, you know, we got to turn the ship around. Yeah. I'm kind of indifferent about it because it's the short tracks that really need it. But at the same time, you know, something does need to be done. Another thing that's interesting to me is could that, if they did go to a single source, could that help bring other, you know, manufacturers? I mean, how would that even work? So, uh, yeah, it could, it certainly could help bring other manufacturers into play. Um, because at because that isn't point, it also like Toyota is the big reason, one of the big reasons why. I mean, it's going to be difficult for them to make a thousand horsepower engine, right? Yeah. So, at least, like, so think about it from a Ford and a Chevrolet perspective is they've, made v8 engines for a very long time and have very Uh successful v8 engines uh toyota does not have the same history and heritage with the v8 platform most of toyota stuff is uh v6 or four cylinder inline Mm -hmm. so i think that's the big challenge of uh from a toyota perspective and also it would be the big challenge uh you know take take Dodge out of the equation a little bit as a potential, you know, incoming manufacturer because they do have uh, the V8, you know, knowledge and prowess and stuff, but there's all kinds of other politics there. So consider other manufacturers who might want to come in. The one I think of most commonly is Honda, uh, given their uh, presence in IndyCar with Honda engines and then in, uh, in sports cars with Acura. They don't have a ton of V8, stuff either i'm pretty sure the uh uh acura uh lmdh car in in imsa runs a turbocharged v6 with the uh with the hybrid system in it so it's not a v8 same in indycar it's a turbocharged v6 so i think that's a challenge so you're right dylan it certainly could help attract uh new um new manufacturers because at that point it's just designing a car body and then the other thing, uh, the other big cost is, is developing a simulation uh, setup, you know, software and, and you know, all the, the mechanical parts of making a simulator work. Um, you know, if they're not having to invest all the money and resources to basically develop a V8 engine from scratch in some cases, um, that certainly w- would be a cost savings and, and potentially attract new, uh, um, new, new manufacturers. But, I think there's also a hesitance to go to a, a spec engine like that because uh, you look at all all racing series, like even Formula One uses, you know, m- engines manufactured by different providers. You know, IMSA does the same thing. Even IndyCar, even though IndyCar is very much a spec series, there's still Honda and Chevrolet engines that are developed by each of those camps. So um, I, I could I could see pros and cons to both ways, but uh, I think the, the overall point is, you know, we we got to dig deep in the bottom of the barrel of ideas because something has to happen to fix the short track yeah. racing. It's interesting that Kevin Harvick's the one who says that because, you know, that's always the different groups with the engines have always been, you know, very proud of it. Like Hendrick engine. I mean, 
RCR, ECR, theirs are, you know, they take a lot of pride. I mean, just look at with Ford, with um, Roush Yates. Roush yeah. Yates, yeah. I mean, th- that's been the biggest thing for forever is that they could make, you know, such good engines. So uh, I think that the old heads would like the 1,000, <laughs> the old NASCAR friends would like the 1,000 horsepower, but at the same time, I feel like it would be more of a hurt to, to have the spec part of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I fully understand that perspective. I just think that there's got to, you know, sitting here doing the same thing over and over again, you know, Groundhog yeah. Day, right? We, something yeah. has to happen. Mm-hmm. Which I which I think if they could fix the gears, like the whole the whole shifting problem, I think that fixes. Yeah, I could put a, a put a band aid on this problem that would could potentially make better racing. I think. So one thing that NASCAR. Um, you know, part of their reasoning for wanting to lower horsepower was, or at least their stated reasoning, was trying to keep speeds down because they felt they were going too fast at places like Michigan and Auto Club and such. Uh, they could certainly do that with gear ratios. You know, yeah. don't make fifth gear a one-to-one ratio or whatever it is. Like, you can change the gear ratio. You can change the rear-end ratio. Uh, or well, it's, it's not, not really act like two with anymore. the old generation car that it wasn't exciting at Martinsville. That low horsepower still produced great racing at right. Martinsville because, in the past because it wasn't so aero dependent. I mean, there were so many guys yeah. talking about uh, about dirty air yesterday. It was ridiculous, like dirty air, and you're going like 120 miles an hour into the corners. <laughs> Get out of here! Yeah, that is crazy. You know, the Xfinity drivers never talk about dirty air. The the late model guys when they were in the late model stock race at Mars will never talk about dirty air. It's only the Cup Series. Every week, I don't. It's in the fact that like, um, you know, we just came out with you know the next gen. I mean, and it was just this this big of of a whiff in some of these aspects of of the new car. Um. And, it's it's and, in, in some in ways the roots. it's COT all over and, again. And yeah, I, I there was I felt like at the beginning of last year there was with the new car. I mean, there was just tons of momentum. It seemed like the races we had, you know, all kinds of winners, some crazy endings. This year, I mean, I with the races themselves, it just been kind of. I don't. I can't even think of one that really sticks out to me. That's been, you know, wow, like that from start to finish. It's just, you know what, you know what shocks me, or you know, it sticks out to me is like yesterday I watched both the Cup race and the IndyCar race at the uh, streets of Long Beach mm-hmm. at the same time, and I, I thought about this while, while the Cup race was kind of a snoozer, to be honest with you. Um. IndyCar, like those cars are 100% a spec chassis. Everybody runs the exact same chassis in those cars. The only thing that's different is you might have a little bit of a different steering wheel uh, button layout, uh, obviously driver comfort stuff, and, you know, whether you're a Honda or a Chevrolet engine. And they still manage to put on pretty good races pretty much everywhere they go. That, that Texas race a few weeks ago for IndyCar mm-hmm. was great racing. Uh, the things that are, are majorly different in terms of the, the things that the IndyCar allows the drivers and the teams to do that NASCAR doesn't is IndyCar has different tire compounds that teams can choose from. 
uh, especially on road courses. I don't know if they do that for for ovals, uh, but for road courses, for sure they do. And also on the road courses, the Indy cars have a uh, push to pass system where they can push and it gives them an extra little turbo boost on their turbocharged engines. Um, and they have a limited number of seconds. I think it varies from track to track to use that. Uh, but also even in the ovals, they, they all run basically the exact same package and they can tune a little bit with their, with like, uh, the, the springs, they call it the weight jacker, but it's really the same as a wedge bolt in a NASCAR car. Uh, they have their anti-roll bars that the, the current, you know, next gen cars also have, and they can adjust, you know, within a little bit, the downforce, like the angle of their wings, but it's, it's changing like a quarter inch if that on the, the wing angle. Uh, if they need a little bit more front uh, front downforce to change the balance, that's pretty much it. And they managed to put on good oval races. So I don't know why NASCAR can't do it. I mean, there are plenty of very smart people who work for NASCAR. I think they could figure it out. Yeah, they're just it's it's a whole lot of misses uh, compared to quote unquote makes. I would say in a time where we're begging for some. For some makes we as a whole and the I mean nascar needs you know needs all the excitement it can get at this point you know you know what i will will, will say though is that i'm kind of glad that nascar is is kind of swinging and missing and really having to work hard on making the next gen a good product because i think it has them distracted to where they're not screwing with the xfinity series <laughs> that is true yeah i mean that the xfinity like we seem like we mention every week, it's just the class act of the of the series. I mean, yeah, why not? Uh, yeah, don't touch it. And and, uh, and what's crazy is like, you know, th- this this whole episode, we you know, you can't. We have barely like mentioned the drivers themselves because it kind of takes the drivers out of the equation. We've been talking about the car and the package this entire yeah. time. It's like, you know. And, and yesterday, there was all the hype all week, and right, you know, Chase Elliott's coming back, and then you know he starts in the back, and you wouldn't even know he was in the he was in the race. He just couldn't, you know, he he made his way up. Uh, I think in, right inside the top ten, tenth. He finished tenth, yeah, but in, in the know, very last, you know, very last run because, but he was because of what was going on. I mean, he was just seemed like he was just stuck in the twenties and you would, I mean, so much for the, for the hype. I mean, not, you know, things yeah. like that. You just, I, I was, I was literally about to mention Chase Elliott because we haven't mentioned him yet uh, in depth. So he did return to the NASCAR cup series with a 10th place finish at Martinsville. Um, there was a lot of hype about Chase Elliott returning. I felt most of which stirred up by NASCAR themselves. Uh <laughs> I, I understand he's the most popular driver for several years in a row now. I get it. And he's returning to, to racing. It's, it's good for the sport and everything. Uh, I, I'm not a Chase Elliott hater. I, I, you know, clapped and cheered when he won the championship. You know, I generally support the guy. You know, um, I did think the links that NASCAR went to promoting that Chase Elliott was returning were a bit extreme. I noticed it like, Nearly every time I opened up Twitter, a promoted tweet about Chase Elliott returning, it was on YouTube ads. There were even commercials in the Xfinity race. <laughs> there were, there were commercials like, in the cup. Yeah, and I'm like, like okay, I'm, 
I'm pretty sure if you're watching the Xfinity race, you probably know Chase Elliott's coming back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think many people are just stumbling on the Xfinity race, you know, flipping channels and be like, oh, the Chase Elliott guy, he's back tomorrow. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure everybody knew that. It was, it, and then in the cup, it was, they ran kind of the same similar commercial. And then it was like, Talladega, three o'clock, Fox, like. I, I, I will say, I will say, you would think that people would know, but working in media, it takes about ten times for some people you to, to for an ad really to you know get their attention though. So at the same time, some people that don't are on are aren't on Twitter twenty four seven or are on Twitter every day and on Facebook may not have really known. But yeah, I mean, I think they had to though, given. Mm-hmm. The ratings hurting and you know they're kind of banking on yeah maybe it was because chase was out so let's promote the heck out of him for one of his better tracks what do you think the 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 mood in the nascar offices are tomorrow if the ratings come out and there's still crap after chase elliott returns if they're still over 15 percent down which it'll be interesting because it the year to year is not going to look bad because remember that was a saturday night race last year so the year the year to year is going to be improved because already Saturday night's going to have lower face audience than what mm-hmm. a Sunday afternoon is. So that might be helping the cause. You probably just have to look. I would just look at the. I think we've had only one other race on FS1, maybe yeah. Richmond. Um, yeah. So just I think if it's right there with Richmond, I, I'm hoping it's more, but that'll be kind of the measurement, but. I, we we've been talking, you know, about every, it seems like all of the NASCAR community likes talking about when the ratings come out every Tuesday, just about the numbers. But well, tomorrow, it's, it's tomorrow really will be like a sign of where the season is. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that the the ratings have been this season, and uh, and especially you know tomorrow is big because you know it's no secret that NASCAR is in talks and starting soon if they haven't already. Uh, about renewing their TV rights. And so, you know, if the ratings are junk, even with Chase Elliott coming back, uh, that certainly puts NASCAR uh, behind the eight ball in uh, their negotiating power for uh, for TV rights. And then conversely, the teams are not going to be happy about it if NASCAR gets their legs cut off from underneath them on TV rights. So there's even less money for them to share with the teams like the teams want. Uh, it'll definitely be something to keep an eye on. Is there anything else we want to mention about Martinsville before we uh, wrap up um, that segment and then get to our pop-up showers for the week? I'll, I'll uh, voice my displeasure, I guess, with my pick when we get to the picks of who I picked in Martinsville, which is kind of a, a shocker, I think, um, with William Byron. I mean, not so disappointing, I think. Not even that he, he was or wasn't my pick, but, and, but it, it comes back to – he did have some mistakes on pit road, and then when you get back there, you're back there. I mean, and and that that's what happened to them. Yeah, he didn't have a great starting position either. Yeah. And then at the same time, you didn't see guys like that or Kyle Busch really take risk like other Joey Logano did at the end of the race, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was going to say, it was interesting to see how different runs. I don't I don't know if it was necessarily a tire, maybe – you know, the adjustments that they made, but like when Alex Bowman made that big push, he looked like the best car on the track and then he faded the rest of the race and chase at the end of the race made that big push forward. So it was interesting. That was one interesting part of the race. I mean, I know you're really nitpicky if you can 
how was this driver able to gain 15 spots, you know, whatever. But um, that that was interesting to follow, who would go on runs when. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, I was thinking about as well, is that, you know, part of the old style of racing and stuff was that, you know, you'd have guys who hit on the setup and guys who didn't hit on the setup, and they were able to, to kind of take big swings at setup changes and stuff and pit stops, and it wouldn't be so detrimental to them uh, on, like, stop time and everything. And it can actually make up spots and everything. But now, uh, you know, you don't have guys really straight up missing the setups anymore uh, because of how good the simulations are. Uh, and so I think that that really is kind of a penalty to where if you do miss the setup, it is so drastic. And then on top of that, because everybody gets so close on the setup in the first place, there's so much parity. If you do figure it out, there's no way to make it up. <laughs> So true. Well, let's get to uh, our pop-up showers for uh, this past week. Uh, Jake, you want to remind us what all those are, what a pop-up shower qualifies as? Sure. Just something uh, we talk, you know, nightly or uh, every week here about the racing on the track. This is usually something off of the track or in, in another racing series, something you saw during the week. And, uh, this week, mine, it just occurred today, NASCAR 75th anniversary doing the 75 top drivers, and they're adding drivers to their previous list of 50. And just today on the recording of our podcast, Greg Biffle added to the list, the Biff. I mean, this is a guy that I don't, I don't think people realize just how good he was, but, you know, definitely well-deserving. But you look down – you know, in the early 2000s, Bush Series champion, Truck Series champion, uh, won, what, a couple Southern 500s, uh, 19 total wins in the Cup Series, 175 top 10s, 20 wins in the Xfinity Series with that championship, 17 wins in the Truck Series. So it just seemed like anything uh, anything you put him in with, with wheels uh, – he was just a, a stud and um, just one of those guys that was part of, you know, the heyday, if you say, if you will say, of just NASCAR, that early 2000s coming up, you know, up, up into 2010, uh, Greg Biffle was, was there. Biff, one of those guys that... uh I think him and Casey Kane come up at similar times, maybe Biff a little bit earlier. Uh, but two guys out of the Pacific Northwest, both recently named to the uh, uh, NASCAR 75. Casey Kane was as well uh, just last week. So a big honor there. Dylan, what's your uh, pop-up shower for this week? Well, I went to um, Keeneland, which is a horse track race, uh, horse, horse racing track here in uh Kentucky went to two races over the last week, week and a half. So, um, not racing in terms of, you know, motor racing, but <laughs> horse racing and it's fun. Um, it's a little different than watching a NASCAR race, obviously, but it's enjoyable. And, uh, with sports gambling coming to Kentucky, they've had horse gambling for as long as time has existed, but now they're going to have online sports gambling. Um, hopefully NASCAR, I mean, takes a bigger rise here. It is, it always is impressive to see Cincinnati and Louisville rank so high on IndyCar and NASCAR, you know, ratings markets. Um, Cause I think this is a, you know, heavily popular 
racing area outside of the southeast. This is one of the more popular areas given Indianapolis being so close. So it's really a shame that there's not a track in this location outside of Indy any longer. <laughs> you know, uh, Dylan, some people would joke, uh, and maybe not even joke, that uh, you saw more horsepower and more passing than uh, Keeneland than there was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you, I might have. You're right. <laughs> I'll, I'll the, see. the track shape is very similar to Martinsville as well. A little paperclip yeah. itself. You mentioned that uh, I real quick. I mean, Kentucky Speedway was one that I – that was, you know, when it started, that was kind of one of my annual trips. And they always had, you know, one date, but that place was packed. I mean, yep. in every summer. Um, it is what it is now that it's it's not on the – I think it's just – The track's like, still there. RV uh, parking lot know. or something or trucks. Yeah, but, yeah, trucks without their chip. That, yeah. Electronic chip. That's just a shame. It is a shame. I was there the year Kurt Busch won. Uh, yes. His brother there at the end. That was, it was so, I was like amazed because I'd been to races the last couple of years. None of them is packed, you know, a grandstand as that. So there it you is. go. <laughs> yep, Jake I was there. I still, I, I still can't believe they got in trouble for, you know, putting the crew guys on the car and racing around. Oh. I, I was so mad about that. <laughs> Listener, uh, Jake has the uh, race wedding die cast from that race, the uh, number one monster oh, yeah. energy car. That's usually that's kind of my uh, my tradition. I try to get the race winners of the ones I go to. So very cool. Uh, my pop up shower. I kind of have uh, a a one A and a one B. So my one A is going to be the successful start to the High Limit Racing Series last Tuesday at Lakeside Speedway in uh, Kansas City. Of course, that's the Dirt Sprint Car Series that is co presented or co put together by uh, Kyle Larson and his brother-in-law, Brad Sweet, who runs uh, for the full season in the World of Outlaws, running for Casey Kane Racing. Uh, they had 56 of the top sprint cars show up on a Tuesday night in Kansas uh, for that race. It's an absolutely huge turnout. Gio Selzy won the inaugural event, $50,000 to him. And they're going to keep doing it uh, throughout the season uh, great car count. Uh, Donnie Schatz is up there as a, as a big name guy. Casey Kane in the race. Uh, he runs the Outlaws full time now. Uh, Kyle Larson was there. Alex Bowman took his sprint car out there uh, and ran, took a professional to get in. But th- there were some very good cars that did not get into the A main. So uh, it's exciting to see that taking off and doing well. Worth noting, too, that uh, one of the kind of presenting sponsors and helped kind of put up some of the money for the. Uh, uh, the prize and everything was Trackhouse Racing. So Justin Marks was there. Of course, uh, something I didn't know uh, until just uh, when I was watching that race was that Justin Marks and Kyle Larson co-owned a sprint car team together that uh, Shane Stewart drove. Uh, and so Justin Marks obviously is a guy who's familiar with all forms of racing and uh, showing his support there to uh, the High Limit Racing Series uh there on tuesday night i think the next event's in a couple weeks um so be sure to keep an eye out for that i'll be sure to mention it here on the podcast upcoming my 1b uh pop-up shower smoke tony stewart gets his first wally won the top alcohol dragster class yesterday at the uh nhra four wide nationals at las vegas motor speedway top alcohol dragster uh is 
it's very similar to the top fuel dragsters you might be familiar with in terms of chassis design. The major difference is uh, those those engines just run on methanol instead of nitro, uh, so not producing nearly as much horsepower as the nitro cars, uh, but still impressive, and it's still a wally for it to smoke. So uh, great to see him continuing to uh, get wins at various levels and various forms of competition uh, throughout the racing world. And he'll be back in the booth this weekend for the cup race at Talladega. I also should mention that I did go to uh, Berlin Raceway over on the west side of Michigan, uh, just west of Grand Rapids, a little town called Marne. Uh, a uh, great night for opening night of racing. It sprinkled a little bit early on in the program and cleared right up. Uh, they had twin features for four cylinders, uh, street stocks, limited late models, and then a 75 lap single feature for the super lates. Uh, it was a great night of racing. And, uh, you know, of course, Berlin, home of the Money in the Bank and the Battle of Berlin super late model races that attract some of the top supers in the country every year. Plus, they're hosting an SRX race this summer. So uh, it's going to be a big year for Berlin Raceway. So I think that wraps up our uh, our pop-up showers. Let's get to that our... That wasn't a pop-up shower. You had a whole pop-up storm today. I, well, it was a pop-up <laughs> storm. I, I think I think I, I earned a little bit because uh, here we are uh, on tax day, and it snowed here in Metro Detroit. So uh, there you go. I was just kind of over it. So I had to have the whole, whole storm there. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, let's go on to our picks real quick. Uh, as you might have heard from Jake mentioning earlier, he had a struggle bus of a day with William Byron finishing 23rd. Uh, I had a bit of a struggle as well with Alex Bowman, who had uh, Dylan mentioned, you know, made his way to the uh, going forward and then couldn't find his way out of the top 15. He finished 11th. Chase Elliott was Steve's pick. Steve really picked the nine, trying to pick Josh Berry. Ended up getting the benefit of having Chase Elliott in the car as well. We figured it's the car because uh, that you really picked because uh, the week prior in random, Jake had the 51 car. And even though it wasn't Cody Ware in the car, he still got this equivalent points that, that the, the 51 car earned. So, as we just that's what we treated it in our picks. So Steve got a Chase Elliott and had ten points there. And then Dylan wins the week with Denny Hamlin in that strategy call, finishing fourth and a big points week for Dylan. He takes over second place uh, by three points over me. He finds himself uh, eleven points behind Steve. So Steve at three hundred two points, Dylan with two ninety one. I'm at two eighty eight, and Jake with. 226 that's in our actual picks uh jake you can go first with your actual pick this week all right going first for what fourth fifth straight week and uh, yeah pretty much and the thing is is two weeks ago i decided that i'm gonna try to pick the most conservative pick that i can because i just need to get it rise up in the standings a little bit and it came back to bite me uh, William Byron was a, a heavy favorite going in. The odds-on favorite in the books just was in 18th to 20th, ends up finishing 23rd. But so I mean, Dega, I don't. You really don't know. It's one of those true wild card races. Um, 
But I will pick Ryan Blaney. Uh, you look at his history. I guess at Dega and you know the Daytona and tracks similar. He won in Talladega 2020, 2019. Uh, I think he had a runner-up second just last season there. Um, we'll see this. We'll see what happens. I think everyone in their picks, you kind of just roll in the dice here and hoping they make it through the big one. So Blaney is uh, Jake's pick. I think I'm going to go with another guy who is super strong at a uh, super speedway. I will say I picked Blaney for the Daytona 500. He got me an eighth place finish. So I think you're onto something, Jake, if he can stay clean. Uh, I'm yeah, going one to one of the go... safer drivers you can pick at a super speedway for sure. One hundred percent. I would hope. Uh, I'm going to take my chances with Bubba Wallace. Uh, he finished 20th in the Daytona 500, but I don't think that was uh, necessarily indicative of how he ran overall. You know, so many things can happen at those super speedways, and Bubba finds himself at the front more often than not at those types of races. And it's one of the two tracks he's won at. Um, he's coming off of a good finish yesterday. So I think his confidence is high. And if he can, uh, I guess, stay out of his own way, I think he is in uh, good shape to have a good run. So we, we flipped our Daytona and Dega picks. And I, I had Bubba for 500. Oh, interesting. So yeah, we'll see how that goes uh, for us. Uh Steve, not with us tonight, but he gets the third pick, and he has told us that he wants Eric Jones. Uh, I think that's an interesting pick there, uh, just because uh, that Jones boy has had a uh, a tough road this year. It's been very rough for Legacy Motor Club, but you think back to the Daytona 500, uh, a car that you didn't really expect to have a whole ton of speed uh, you know, driver aside, I'm thinking the car didn't really have a wouldn't expect them to have a whole ton of speed. Uh, was the 47, and that was uh, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. coming with, with the Daytona 500 win. So, uh, the Chevrolets showed strong at the uh, uh, at the 500, and that's a I think that's a reasonable pick to pick a Chevrolet to have a good result there at Talladega. And that leaves Dylan. Uh, you won last week, so you get to pick last. Who are you thinking? Uh, not your typical guy that you think of when we go to Talladega, but he impressed me at Daytona for all the racing action then. Um, I'm going to go with Kyle Busch. Uh, I think, you know, he's motivated after having a bad week at Martinsville and struggling some in the past couple of weeks. So I think Kyle Busch is motivated, and he uh, – it's a Talladega spring victory. You're right that no, not many people think about uh, uh, Kyle Busch as a super speedway racer, uh, you know, expert. But uh, you're right that he he showed some speed at Daytona, and uh, he he could certainly use something to turn turn things around after the rough couple of weeks. So uh, Jake has Ryan Blaney, Dylan with Kyle Busch, Steve with Eric Jones, and I have Bubba Wallace. So uh, let's go to random picks and see how we did there. Uh, Jake had a another tough day in random picks with uh, Tyler Reddick finishing 22nd. Uh, but I think that was more of a uh, – his finishing result was not indicative of how he ran. 
He mm. scored points in both stages. So Jake actually got his first 30-point day. He actually had his best points day by nine points all season uh, because of the stage points that Tyler Reddick earned him there. He got 30 points yesterday. Uh, Dylan with the uh, pickup A.J. Allmendinger, not a great race for Dinger, not a great race for Colleg, finishes 27th. Steve uh, had Kyle Busch in random, also did not have a great day like Dylan was just mentioning, finishing 21st. And uh, I was looking great for the first 75 laps with Ryan Priest. Then he got mired back in traffic uh, to finish 15th, although his stage win certainly helped his points day and helped uh, helped me in that regard. So in the points in our random picks, I lead the way with 276. Dylan finds himself 81 points behind, uh, 195 total points for Dylan. Steve just eight points off that at 187, and Jake bringing up the rear uh, with 145. So looks like it'll be Dylan with the first random pick, and I will get that set up here to get a video going so I can prove to everybody that I am not rigging it. And uh, we'll go for Dylan and give it a spin here. Which random it might end up a lot better than us this week in terms of the actual uh, picks. Because it's exactly. Uh you got a pretty good random pick there, Dylan. Joey Logano. Wow, I will take that. <laughs> Talladega for sure. Alright, so the next random pick is Jake. This twenty second place finish from Tyler Reddick. And oh no. Oh no. Uh, who's in the 15 this week? Oh no. DJ oh, <laughs> Yaley? No, I think JJ is in the um uh in the 51. So they had to do some shuffling. So last week with Cody Ware out, Zane Smith raced the 51. But Zane Smith is already going to be in the 38 this week. Uh so they put JJ Yaley in. Oh, it I think is it's Riley Wiley. Herbst. Right. Oh, that's not bad. You might have a chance there. Uh, I need, uh, so I, Riley, need like, I need like if he, mixes, if he misses the Rex. Yeah. So Riley Herbst is in the uh, 15 for Jake. Hey, of all weeks to get the 15, this is certainly yeah. not the worst. It's my second time getting the 15 this year. And actually the uh, 15 at Coda finished 18th, which was one of my best finishes. <laughs> that was, guess, uh, uh, who, Oh, oh, that was Jensen Button. Jensen, yeah, yeah. You just have a knack for getting the 15 when it's not JJ. <laughs> uh, Steve's pick is up next. Stick the wheel going there. And let's see who Steve will have in his random picks. Uh, oh, Misery Loves Company. He also gets Riley Herbst. <laughs> what? It's a Rick Ware. Hi. It's a Rick Ware spinning spinner today, boys. And I'll spin for myself here. No Rick Ware, no Rick Ware, no Rick Ware. Um, and it stops on the 12, so I get Ryan Blaney. All Fords today. How about that? That is a very good observation. I was thinking about that uh, in our real picks, actually, a little bit, Dylan. I was like, man, the Fords have been really good at the plate races, and only one of us picked a Ford, and it's Jake. Um, so, 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 Braxton, you've been really good with the random picks hope i then that means it would spread to my actual pick <laughs> yes yeah, so uh, my I mean, average to, to, 
to get the favorite for the spin is pretty pretty good. So my average finish in my random picks is thirteen point three. Jake's average finish in his real picks is twenty. Yeah, my real my real picks, and I'll be. I mean, it's one thing. I don't think I'm picking you know out of the blue. I'm literally the last so many races I've been picking the favorite. Just my last four races, the average is twenty eighth place. I mean, just bad. But pretty rough. I don't know. Pretty rough. What can I do? Oh, I see. If you, it's crazy when you look at the actual picks, like. Uh, Dylan, Steve, Braxton, all you guys have at least three top fives. I have zero. So, but it's a long year, you know. You never know. Yep. Yep. That was like last year in in our tweeting random fantasy picks. I started off the season so hot. Next thing you know, I'm I'm getting passed. I think Jake ended up passing me by the end of the year last year. <laughs> yeah, I'm continuing my hot streak. Somehow last year, I think I ended up in like the top twenty. Uh, like did, yeah, all of all of Steve Lewin's random fantasy racing. I think it was actually a really good run by Justin Haley at the uh, at Phoenix to help seal me in the top twenty. And I uh, made sure to to tweet the the line that that AJ Allmendinger always uses: a "Big thank you to all the men and women at College Racing." <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Steve does those uh, the all forty challenge. If you look at my random picks. I'm going to get to all the 20s, that's for sure. <laughs> Look, I have I have 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Like, just incredibly average. Hey, uh, you can still go down, you can still go up. Yes. It's either going to go one of two ways this week. Either I me mean, having Blaney and Random is going to help you, or you having Blaney and Actual is going to hurt me. <laughs> I so, uh, hopefully... A, uh, a big weekend at Talladega coming up. Uh, I think – have any of us been to Talladega before? I know I haven't. I have. Um, I've been one time for David did, Reagan's win. Did you go to the infield? Was it a, was it a raucous uh, party there? I did not go to the infield, but I spent <sighs> some time in the campground, and it was also one of the crazier experiences of my life. Mind you, I was only 16 at the time, so I could not thoroughly enjoy the experience there. But. <laughs> I think you're just saying that for uh, for legal purposes <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so everybody says that the Boulevard is uh, is one of the, the most hopping experiences you can have in NASCAR. So certainly a good time to be had by many fans this weekend. And uh, oh, I have not got my weather forecast yet for it. Oh yeah, what what, what are we looking like is, for uh, for Talladega? So Friday and Saturday morning looking pretty interesting there with rain. Sunday, I think. No problem at all. It's actually going to be a beautiful day, not too hot uh, then. But it'll be interesting. We were, we were looking up before the podcast, you know, what occurs Friday. We got Xfinity qualifying, which takes place Friday, correct? And then also mm-hmm. Cup qualifying early Saturday morning. Both of those could be in jeopardy, but I think the rest of the weekend, good to go. So we could have some lineups set by the metric this week. So something to keep an eye out there for your. Uh your fantasy lineups and, and wagering uh, purposes there. Uh, Jake, anything you're looking out for at, uh, at Talladega this weekend? Hopefully not a big one. Well, it just depends on, on which way it goes. It seems like um, the driver with our picks and everything, but um, n- not necessarily. Uh, I'll just sit back and, and hopefully we get a little more 
you know, action than what we've seen in from the super speedways here with the next gen. Um, I mean, but uh, maybe we're heading out of next weekend with uh, a surprise winner in a way, then in a playoff spot locked up for someone uh, that kind of come out of the blue. Certainly anything can happen at one of these super speedway races. Uh, and it'll be exciting to see who comes out on top there. Before we wrap up the podcast, we do want to uh, remind everybody that next week is going to be a very special episode. We'll have our first ever guest. Uh, if you follow our social media interactions, you might have a chance of figuring out who it is, but we're not going to tell you just yet. Uh, we might leave some more Easter eggs on our social media throughout the week. And speaking of social media, I need to give a shout out to the social media admins at Costa Oil, uh, who sponsored uh, Ryan Ellis in the Xfinity race on Saturday. I remember on Saturday, early in the day, I was watching uh, uh, practice and qualifying for the Xfinity series. And when I saw Ryan Ellis go out for his qualifying lap, uh, I I reenacted the, the scene from the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where uh, Leo DiCaprio sits up from his chair and points at the TV because he sees himself on the TV uh, in, in one of his Western movies. I, I reenacted the same thing, um, you know, just because I thought, oh, there's Costa Oil. And, uh, and, they, and they interact with us on the, uh, on the Twitters a lot. So uh, it's great to see for them. Unfortunately, it seemed like Ryan had an issue late in the race, wasn't able to get a good finish. But he'll be back in the car with a different sponsorship, but still good to see him back in the car this weekend at Talladega. Certainly. So I think uh, that'll basically wrap up the show. Uh, we, we'll be putting out the poll here. By the time you're listening to this, the poll will be out. Uh, we'll leave it, up, leave it up for most of the week, talking about uh, the engine conundrum and, you know, would you rather see or would you be okay with high horsepower if it meant a standardized engine not being manufactured, you know, with any of the, the manufacturer support of, of Toyota, Chevy, or, or Ford? Uh, we'll, we'll get that posted up here and it'll be up by the time you're listening to this podcast. So uh, any last uh, thoughts from Jake or Dylan before we wrap it up? Let's go racing at uh, Talladega. Should be exciting. Yep. Always one of my favorite weekends of the year because my birthday usually falls around it. It used to be on my exact birthday weekend, the last weekend of April, a little bit earlier now. Um, but uh, with my birthday being April 28th. So this is a race I always look forward to every year. So I'm very excited for it. Very cool. Well, we'll have Steve back next week and also a special guest with us, our first guest uh, of our run here on Cloudy with a Chance of Racing. So be sure to tune in then. If you like what you've heard, be sure to give us a subscription, uh, subscribe to get all the latest updates. Also, uh, share the podcast with your friends. Um, be a friend, tell a friend, as uh, Connor Daly said on the uh, Speed Sheet podcast the other day. Uh, we're really appreciative of that. And uh, continue to tune in. We'll be back next week with a special guest and Steve returning. Uh, for Jake and Dylan, I'm Braxton. Thank you so much for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Racing. We're at Talladega this week. 